0: Hello and welcome to Children's University Live, a podcast series from Children's University, the charity that encourages, tracks and celebrates young people's participation in learning beyond the classroom. Now, if you're new to Children's University, do check out childrensuniversity.co.uk for more information about how we help over 100 thousand children each year to develop essential skills, confidence and character through informal learning. To bookmark this podcast just hit subscribe on the podcast app where you're listening to this podcast right now. This episode was recorded live at the Children's University Conference in October 2019. It features Tom Ravenscroft, founder and CEO of the Skills Builder Partnership. He introduces the work of the partnership and the talks followed by a Q&A with Children's University CEO, Helen O'Donnell. Earlier in 2019, Children's University signed up to the Skills Builder Partnership. This was a formal way of bringing structured skills development into our delivery model. All activities validated through Children's University Online are linked to the Skills Builder Framework so that children, parents and schools can reflect and build upon the skills being developed through their participation. Now Tom does occasionally refer to his slides in his talk and a link to these can be found in the show notes. Enjoy!
1: At the moment, we're talking increasingly about the future. Um, We're talking about all of the change that's going on. Uh, We talk about the uncertainty of what's going to happen with all sorts of different things, um, some of them looming more closely than others. Um, And I think that gives us a sense of, we know the future's going to be different, but we don't know quite what that's going to be. But actually, when we started thinking about uh, these skills, and it was a decade ago, um, it was very much seeing something which was already a problem, not just something for the future. And for me, this journey started about uh, 12 years ago now, when I was uh, just setting out as a secondary school uh, business and economics teacher. And I was teaching in a school in Hackney in Central East London, Um, and I think had this, this sense, which I think you can only really get if you're completely naive going into a school, which was, why doesn't anybody else worry that we're not appearing to do anything about any of these broader skills, which surely we know the young people are going to need. And in fact, it became obvious that the young people needed them because at the point I'd been in the school a couple of months, we started getting all of the previous years, year 11s, coming back to the school to try and get back into the school sixth form because actually, without all of the support and the frameworks that we put around them, actually, they're really struggling at college. Um, And the ones who tried to go out and find jobs have found that actually that wasn't as easy as they'd uh, they'd believed. Um, And it felt to me uh, that there was a real uh, gap uh, in terms of what we were... Uh, what we were doing. And for me, it felt immediately like um, perhaps it was something that I was doing wrong as a teacher. And there was plenty that I was doing wrong as a teacher. Um, but actually, it felt like this wasn't just about uh, what was going on in my classroom, but actually was representative of a much broader um, challenge. Um, and so uh, many of us are familiar every year with seeing the, uh, the surveys that come out from the sort of different employer organisations who, you know, every year, um, and I think they've got the same template they've probably used for a while, uh, you know, talking about the challenge between what's going on in the classroom and then how young people are ready uh, to thrive in employment. We hear the same challenges uh, at university that often young people struggle to adapt to that uh, that change in how they learn, um, and we also see it in schools. So, as teachers, uh, and I know many of uh, many of you in the room work in schools, we often see firsthand actually there's real challenges around young people uh, taking ownership of their learning, taking. Uh, having that sense of agency in what they're doing, um, being able to articulate their ideas, being able to solve problems. Um, so it felt like there was a real gap. Um, and I think where it comes is that actually in the education system, we talk a lot about basic skills, uh, you know, and rightly so. So, you know, getting literacy right, getting numeracy right, getting some of the basic digital skills in place. Um, and then in employment, as we get to employment, actually employers are quite comfortable with the idea that they need to build technical skills. Um, So, you know, role specific or job specific skills. And actually, you know, they feel pretty comfortable with doing that because they can see the immediate value of that to their businesses. Um, But that leaves this awkward gap uh, of what sits between those two types of skills. So what are the things which aren't those basic skills, but which are more transferable than just sort of those discrete technical skills? And so we started to ask this question, really, of, you know, what might fill that gap? And, of course, what we found is that there's plenty of different things out there uh, which have attempted to think about that problem, right? And we might know them as life skills or 21st century skills or basic skills or advanced skills, um, depending on which day of the week it is. Um, Most recently, I've heard them called fusion skills, just to throw a new one out there. And actually, this uh, you know, fairly quickly becomes overwhelming, not just to, to teachers, not just to those who work with young people, but actually to the young people themselves about what is this bizarre, very hazy set of things that I'm expected to be able to do and which are apparently going to be very helpful to me, but which nobody seems quite able to pin down exactly what they are. Um, and so that was sort of the challenge that we grappled with, was thinking through, well, how would you try and get that balance right? Um, because actually you can debate endlessly, and you know, people do, um, about what exactly do we mean by these skills and what do we mean by cognitive or non-cognitive skills and what do we mean by uh, self-actualization or agency or, um, or all the rest. We thought actually you have to try and balance that with the pragmatism of what can you actually as a young person or as a parent or as a, as a child get your head around and really feel like <coughs> you can own. And when we did this, we looked at well over 200 different definitions um, of, of these types of skills, which was both an exhaustive and entirely exhausting uh, exercise to go through. Um, but what we found is actually, although there's huge debate around the language and the nuance, that actually there are these four big themes that come out time and again. And those are communication skills, their creative problem solving, their self-management and their interpersonal skills. So there's four big themes. And what we thought is actually for each of those, there's really, there's a duality about them. So for example, for communication, what you're thinking about is both the receiving of communication and the transmitting of communication. For creativity and problem solving, we think of creativity about as, you know, generating many possible solutions or many possible ideas. And in problem solving is about how do you distill those down to find the optimal approach? We think of self-management as about, you know, how do you set goals and set ambitions for yourself in aiming high? And then how do you have the tools and the strategies to adapt and to change and to overcome obstacles? And that's what we think of as staying positive. And then, of course, uh, interpersonal skills all depends on where, what, what's your role. Are you part of a team or are you trying to lead that team? And so that's the, sort of the, the approach that we've taken. And what's good about having uh, eight skills is we think that's basically the upper limit of what anybody can tangibly uh, hold in their minds at any point. But of course, that's helpful, and of course, you know, in many ways, it's a step beyond some of um, some of what's out there. In, in some ways, in that it's you know at least got the clarity um, of what they are, and you know, some very nice formatted logos. Um, but actually, that's not particularly helpful when it comes to how do you really uh, build those? Because we can all agree these are good things to have, right? Um, so Sutton Trust, a couple of years ago, did a great piece of work, found that uh, I think it was ninety-seven percent of teachers thought that these skills were at least as important. As academic achievement for the future success of their young people so it's not a problem that people disagree but how do you actually then turn that into somebody getting better at these things rather than just saying well it's good if you've got it and so what we went through and this was the uh, the second part of the exercise was thinking well if we take any one of those skills really that's a very broad view and actually there's lots of individual component parts that make up being able to be good at that skill if you take the example of driving uh, as, a, as, a, as an example, actually there are lots of individual things that you need to be able to do in order to effectively drive a car. You know, you've got to have some basic knowledge about which pedal is which, which is always a, always a good starting point. Um, you know, you've got to understand how the wheel works, you've got to understand how the indicators work, you've got to understand the use of your mirrors, you've got to put all of that into practice. But actually you can build it up best by thinking about each of those things and getting it right in turn. And it's the same with these skills. So for the younger students, uh, and I speak as a a father of a five-year-old, you know, actually teamwork is just about learning to take it in turns. Uh, And it's about how do you relate to other people. Um, And as you get better at that, it might be that you can help out with different jobs or make suggestions or encourage others uh, through to more advanced things, like how do you resolve conflicts uh, or how do you measure the uh, effectiveness of a team. Um, and, And once you start breaking them down, actually... Um, that becomes quite exciting because you can start to make sense of what does progression look like. Um, and so that's what we've done with the Skills Builder framework, which I know many of you um, will have seen, which is to take uh, each of those skills and really try to break it down into 15 different steps. And the idea is that although it's not always perfect, um, that actually students make pro- and children make progress through those steps towards achieving a real sort of mastery of that particular skill. Um, and that's the same whether it's listening, whether it's staying positive, or whether it's teamwork. And actually you can really break it down into what are those chunks, what are those steps um, that lead to real competence in this. And that was a huge piece of work for us. So That was four years work, uh, which sounds uh, huge, but uh, you know, it took a while to get it really right. Um, and over that time we tried and tested it with about 200,000 learners and we had it independently checked twice to make sure it was really robust. Um, and we worked with about 60 other organisations to test it in different settings, because what we wanted is something that was universal enough um, that it could be used with all sorts of different activities in all sorts of different settings. But the reason why I think it's important, and I think this really resonates um, with why I'm such a big fan of what you're doing at Children's University, is because I think it helps to unpick some real myths that I think have held us back from making progress in this area. And I think the biggest myth that it helps to unpack is, or to undermine in fact, is this idea that skills are just innate. So I think all too often I hear phrases like, you know, natural leader, natural team player, natural communicator, which is all very well, except of course the flip side of that is that we're therefore presuming that some students can, some children can do this and therefore others can't. I think once you start seeing that actually it's just about breaking it down into increments and building it step by step, what you see is actually All students can get better at these skills. All children can get better at these skills. I think the second um, myth that it helps to to unpick a little bit is just the hope uh, that these skills just get picked up by luck as we go through life. Um, And I think sometimes that's a comforting idea to fall back on is that actually over time people will pick up these skills. Um, But actually there's not much evidence that that happens. Um, Sometimes people practise the skills And of course, we all use these skills every day in real life. Um, But the problem is, if you're just using them, often people plateau at a certain point, so they don't realise that they could get better at something. Um, Or what they do is, if they do it more often, they just cement a really bad habit. Um, And we all have habits about the way we interact with each other, the way that we communicate, and actually, it's quite easy to get stuck in a rut of how to do that. The third myth, um, which I think is... Uh, one that's sort of hung around, which is sort of more linked to entrepreneurship, is this idea that the skills are all there inside of us and come the right opportunity, they will uh, present themselves. Um, And I certainly don't think we take that uh, myth and apply it to a first driving lesson of uh, shop someone in the car and just hope that now the car is there, um, it'll be fine. Um, And so actually... Uh, I think what's nice about having a framework is as you start to unpick those skills and start thinking about them in a much greater level of detail, we find that actually those myths really don't stand up to any closer scrutiny. The big leap, though, is saying, well, if the framework gives us the what, so what does it look like to build these skills? And it helps to undermine some key myths. We still have to make a big leap into terms of thinking about, well, how do we actually go about building them? So how do we make those steps of progress, even if we know what they are? And as we thought about this we started thinking well actually one of the big challenges is that people don't always believe that these skills can be built but actually if you think about children there are two skills that we really believe are very important for all children to build and which we have very high expectations that they can achieve and of course those are literacy and numeracy and so we thought well what are the ways that we build literacy and numeracy that give us such confidence that we can build those and how would we apply those to these other skills as well Um, And this gives us uh, six principles, I suppose, of what we've seen both, you know, theoretically, but actually very much in practice across our schools and across our different partners. And these are the things that really make a difference. Um, And I hope as you see these, you see um, how much there is that already really resonates um, with exactly the approach that you're taking here at Children's University. So the first thing we found was that actually where you're seeing progress, it was all about keeping it really simple. And by that, what we mean is that uh, young people, and children particularly, um, don't want to be trying to um, try to evaluate whether something is collaboration, or whether it's teamwork, or whether it's interpersonal skills that they're building. What they need is a really clear conceptual framework for understanding what those skills are, and being able to recognise them and see them repeatedly. Um, because actually, that's a framework that we learn all things. We, everything is based around a framework when we learn it, and we think about it in different ways. Um, and so, actually having the consistency of language, the having it uh, as tangible as possible um, and having it reinforced in as many times as possible is absolutely critical. Um, and that's why I think some of the, the work that we're looking to do in partnership is so exciting, is trying to, to draw out that simplicity and that consistency for, for children. The other point which will absolutely resonate with everyone in the room is the idea that, of course, you have to start young and you have to keep going to build these skills. So when I think about early skills of something like um, leadership, what we're not talking about is, you know, who's the bossiest kid in the room. What we're talking about is actually how do you get, start fostering students' empathy? Because, of course, that empathy and that understanding of others is what leads to really effective leadership in the long run. And so actually it's all about how do you build uh, young people who, and children who are, who are just very confident, very able to to work with others very able to articulate and to express their ideas who maybe are able to to communicate when they need help or when they need extra support Um, and of course if you can get these things right early there is plenty of evidence that actually that just continues to cascade and of course the earlier that you can get some of these things right particularly in an education context the sooner you've got children who can ask for help when they need it the better the when you get children who are able to structure a problem for themselves that's brilliant when you've got them able to listen to others, of course, that's really powerful in the classroom. And so you see this cascade of benefits, the sooner that we start getting these skills underway, um, the better. Um, and that is why, because actually, you know, I think for children, this is an area where there's much less emphasis at the moment on developing these skills. And I think again, that's why this partnership is so important to me. Um, is because if we can get this right for the youngest uh, children, actually we're going to see benefits for those uh, children as they become young people and then through the rest of their lives as well. I think another really key part of um, doing this right is about measuring it. Um, And that's not about turning this into a hard exam type outcome measure, that's absolutely, just for clarity, that is absolutely not what I'm saying. Um, But what it is is saying, well actually, in order to make progress, it's really helpful to know what someone can already do. Um, So to make that next step of progress it's good to know where you are and that can be gathered in a range of different ways so some of the um, innovations that you're developing around the um, the electronic passport for example is one really powerful way of doing that is helping uh, children to capture what is it they're already good at and then using the framework to identify well if I can do this really effectively maybe the next thing is that I can contribute more ideas in a team or maybe the next step is that actually, I can talk for a short amount of time in front of my peers. You know, and it's just working out what that next step is. Um, and once we know what that next step is, of course, having that focus is what enables much, much quicker progress. Um, because it actually, once you know what it is that you want to learn next, actually, it's quite quick in many ways to teach the, the theory, if you call it that, that underpins those things. Um, so whether that's teaching three basic conflict resolution strategies or whether it's highlighting some of the different approaches that you can take to motivate a team. Um, Once you know that, actually it's quite quick to build that bit of knowledge. And then, of course, the key is to practice it. Um, Because that's the big difference, right, between knowledge and skills, is knowledge, you know, if you can recall it, and you can understand it, you can process it, you're there. With a skill, you not only need to have that, but you actually need to be able to replicate it, and you need to be able to do it in lots of different settings. And so that practice is absolutely critical. And of course, the more that you practice it, the more that it becomes automatic. So that when you're in a period of stress or you've got other things that your mind is thinking about, they almost become sort of the automatic way that you, um, that you apply those skills. And again, one of the things that I think is so exciting about the approach you take is recognizing that that diversity of experience and the diversity of applying those skills in lots of different contexts is vastly more valuable than just learning it in a classroom setting. Actually, if you learn it in a classroom setting, that's, that's useful and important, But what we've seen is that if you only learn in a classroom setting, most of the time students will only use it in a classroom setting. And so you realise that they've got these skills in the background, but they've never thought about the transferability of them into other settings. And of course, what we all care about is ultimately that, you know, children and young people enjoy their childhoods, but also that they're then set up to thrive in the rest of their lives. Um, And practising in those different settings is what makes it happen. And then finally, it's about bringing it to life. So the more that uh, these skills are used in the real world and are applied to real problems and to real situations, we've seen there's huge evidence um, that that is what cements those skills and makes them really tangible. And no amount of simulations can ever um, replace uh, actually a young person or a child applying these skills to something they really care about and they really want to make work um, because actually that's what pushes them to get better at them. So those are um, what we found as sort of the big things, I think, that underpin this being done really effectively. And as I, as I said, you know, I think in terms of the approach that you're taking here, I think that's really in line with those principles and really in line with what we've seen work elsewhere. And so the final element um, is, about, uh, is about how do we do this together? And so, you know, the, the idea, I suppose, behind um, what's become the Skills Builder Partnership Uh, really emerged sort of three or four years ago. And so at that point I'd been running um, the work that we were doing as a predecessor organisation, it's called Enabling Enterprise for six or seven years and we've been doing a lot of work directly with schools. But what we were finding was that uh, actually um, where schools were making a breakthrough was that they were not just doing our stuff in lesson time, but they were making that connection between what's happening in lesson time and how are the skills being built. Uh, in the rest of a child's time in school, but also connecting with everything else that they are doing outside of it. And so we thought, well, actually, we can't pretend that just doing this stuff in the classroom is going to be the the solution that we need. Uh, It needs to be bigger than that. And so what's exciting about Skills a Partnership is it's an opportunity to to make a real shift for children and young people collectively. Um, And so there's sort of three strands um, that make up the partnership. So the first, of course, continues to be uh, schools and colleges. Um, So we, uh, as Skills Builder Partnership, are directly supporting um, about 540, I think it was last year, schools and colleges across the country, Um, working with children from as young as three years old right up to 18-year-olds and beyond. And so, of course, that's one really important pillar, because what you want is that uh, a child in their time in school is getting the opportunities and the reinforcement of building these skills day in, day out. And a big part of our work is also supporting teachers. So really sort of helping teachers to to understand how they can weave some of this into everyday teaching and also building their confidence in how they teach these skills. Um, Because of course, it's one of the the ironies of our education system that actually most teachers, and this was certainly the case for me, won't, in their formal teaching have received a single hour of training in terms of how you might go about building any of the rest of these skills. Um, And of course, (laughs) It's a particular irony when you then say 97% of them say that these skills were at least as important as all of the other academic learning that the students are doing uh, along the way as well. Um, So we're trying to to help to to redress that. The other part of the uh, partnership is is employers, um, because what we want to ensure is that actually there's a real join-up between uh, how children and young people are building these skills and then how they're supported to make that transition into the workplace. And so some of the employers we're working with in terms of employability outreach and how they support their schools, but some of them increasingly we're also working with to, to build the skills builder approach into how they recruit, into how they support new joiners in the workplace, how do they support graduates and how they support their apprentices, um, to try to get that, that support all the way through so that young people leaving school can really thrive. Um, and there's about 130 of those different uh, employer partners at the moment. And then the other sort of critical piece, and this is, you know, and these are the organisations, I suppose, that, that are also sort of embracing that skills builder approach. And I think that's, um, I hope that's a really powerful thing for, for the huge sort of convening uh, role that, that uh, Children's University has, is that hopefully there are already partners who are part of what the, the children themselves are doing who are also thinking in terms of. Um, skills builder and thinking about how they're contributing Um, because I think the real power of this is is how do you get that alignment because what you want is that for every individual young person every individual child that they have that way of joining together all of these different experiences so that they can own for themselves their own skill set and they can take responsibility of how as they're getting older they're taking uh, their skills and they're building on them and then nourishing them um, but also that they're able to translate them into really thriving whatever they decide to do uh, later on in their lives as well so just to finish it's been an enormous privilege uh, to be here this morning and, and to share a little bit about um, our perspective of what we've been doing at skills but a partnership but i think this is there's a real opportunity here i think Um, to do something that's really transformative in terms of ensuring that actually as a normal part of a good education, as a normal part of a good childhood, that every child is getting the opportunity to really build these skills. So thank you very much indeed.
2: I'm delighted to say that um, Tom's colleague Bella is here as well, um, and is joining us on stage. I, I wanted to ask quite a practical question because obviously we're early days in our in our work with Skills Builder, but I, I wanted to ask if there are just just kind of bearing in mind your keep it simple principle, if there are practical initial things that we can do to ensure that. I suppose the tagging of skills doesn't become a tick box exercise, but how we encourage all our partners that we work with in the network and our learning destinations to understand what we actually mean by some of those skills and skills development.
1: So I think the the really critical piece of doing this, you know, uh, what we've seen in terms of doing it well is is I think partly it's about ensuring that there's really that shared understanding of what the skills mean. Often people will say, oh yeah, teamwork, are they doing something in a team, therefore it must be, it must be that. Whereas in fact, perhaps the bigger thing that the students are getting out of it or children are getting out of it is the fact that um, as part of this work in a team, they're really focusing on problem solving. Um, and that is where they're making the most progress. So I think part of it is about understanding, you know, what, what, is, the, what is the main focus and I think that what, what goes in, in line with that is I think sometimes <clears throat> pushing people to think a little bit more about, well, they might be using this skill, but what is it that will actually make them get better at it? Um, because practice alone, you know, practice is very important, but actually how, how will they have the opportunity to directly learn something new, say, about presenting or learn something new about leadership? Because I think it's where you're seeing the the opportunities for something new, that that's where the real progress will come from.
3: Looking at the quality of the steps that are being Mm -hmm. developed, and as you say, not just tagging a nice logo onto something and counting, well, I've ticked the sort of teamwork box five times in my different extracurricular activities. So it's, as Tom says, it's looking at what is being developed and which particular strategies within those steps are being developed. And I think that's really the the critical difference between uh, just an understanding of the skills and the active development of those skills. So as part of our training with educators and practitioners, it's making that jump to the tangible steps. Otherwise you sort of cut cut the journey short a bit. absolutely.
4: Really helpful, thank you. Any questions from the floor? So apologies, so Lorraine Harker from Bexley, we're not using the new system yet, so my question is, I guess, when we move on to the new system, will a child, when they log their hours, be able to see and score which skill they were working on at that learning destination? Is that the plan? Yeah, so that is the plan. So going forward, they would be able to see which schools they've skills that they've used and utilised through whichever activity they've been using, which will then unlock other skills that they might not have particularly used within that um, activity, but kind of might bring them into building or linked in with what Tom was showing us. I'm Bina, I'm one of the trustees at CU. I thought that was absolutely fabulous as somebody who loves frameworks. (laughs) (laughs) Explained it so beautifully. But it did take me back to all the um, corporates that I've worked for who do loads of this sort of training in terms of, you know... Uh, communication skills, problem solving, creativity, leadership, teamwork, etc, etc. And I wanted to know what exactly do, do your partnerships with the employers entail? And how are they helping and supporting, for example, the teachers in, mm-hmm. in the schools?
1: Yeah, no, great question. So so one of the, the key things with uh, helping working with employers is, is I think it's constantly evolving. I think where we started from was um, trying to get employers to engage directly with schools. Um, So the big way we do that is we get employers to host groups of uh, children and young people from schools, bring them into their organisations, and we help facilitate some of those days where actually students are getting an opportunity to Uh, work with volunteers from those uh, organizations um, but also a set a challenge which uh, takes the skills that they've been practicing these same skills they've been practicing in the classroom and puts them uh, gives them a real life challenge that is appropriate to that business to to try to apply those skills to so really trying to make the the connection there what we've been doing more recently as the uh as the partnership has developed um, is working with employers um, to try to align their Uh, employability outreach to schools with the same framework. So for example, KPMG um, run a lot of employability workshops in schools, um, and what we've done is we've worked with them to help them uh, refocus those workshops on particular skills and particular steps. um, So that even though it's a short intervention, that actually it's much more targeted um, in terms of what the outcomes are. Um, And then one of the sort of the longer term things that we're working on is is working with employers to try to (coughs) Um, get them to use the skills more explicitly as they're recruiting uh, or when they're supporting apprentices um, so that ultimately there's much more join up between education uh, into employment as well.
5: Hi, um, my name is Katie. I'm from Sheffield Children's University. Um, I think this is a really interesting area for us. It's something that we've looked at quite recently. Um, and I took it to our schools in a recent seminar because we've had a lot of talks so, through our university and through different partners and organisations about skills and skills development and recognition and frameworks for that. Um, I have to say, in a room full of a variety of staff from schools, from head teachers right way down to admin staff or, you know, mentors, um, Um, learning mentors and sort of classroom teachers, they had no experience of skills recognition in school. Um, so my first question I think is around like the coordinated effort there is to bring this to schools and to school staff and sort of your work in terms of that. And I think the second one is about the impact of these, sort of this skills recognition and sort of have you, I know it's, you know, potentially early days in terms of that, but the longer term goal around looking at the impact of you know, what this means to children and people in terms of the essential skills and how you will sort of, you know, measure that moving forward.
3: Yeah, so you, just so I understand the first part of the question correctly about how we're coordinating that effort in schools and sort of nationally. Um, And certainly that is something that we've seen a huge development in recently, actually, with hubs of schools in local educational authorities and working with local enterprise partners to coordinate that effort. And in particular, sort of following principle two, working with primary schools who are feeding into secondary schools. And some of our secondary schools are doing a fantastic job to invite in the sort of feeder schools so that we can make sure that that skills uh, develop. Is happening all the way through to build the whole child, and I think that for us, we're really keen to continue that effort of sort of uh, joining up the whole process. And the partnership ethos is very much a common approach, because we know this will be most effective. And so that's how we're sort of working with different organisations and working with sort of councils and in particular boroughs as well to develop the skills. Um, So certainly those schools, we'd be very interested to help (laughs) and work with those teachers uh, to develop the skills with them as well. Does that answer your question? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think just to add to that is that, um, you know, we're very fortunate that we're uh, we get funding from employers to support schools so there 's no cost to schools to engage and we you know have a, a package of training and, and development that we can do with them so if you have schools who you think would be interested or would uh, benefit from that, then um, you can certainly encourage them to get in touch and I think they 've got until the end of october and um, that 's when we 're expecting the funded places for this year to run out but um, you know that 's something we'd be happy to extend um, because yeah, I absolutely agree it 's something which uh, isn 't often covered and um, we are making some some progress, uh, more progress at secondary at the moment because An organization called the careers and enterprise (coughs) company which does a lot of of work uh there has sort of adopted skills builders being their definition of employability skills um so that's making more progress but um but obviously there's a lot more primary schools uh as well in terms of impact i mean this is something that we have um we've always worked really hard at and i think one of the reasons why we initially developed the framework was because we wanted to to have a really tangible way of seeing well what's actually making Making progress, right? Because actually, once you've got the framework, you can see well what what makes a difference in terms of moving students up by different steps and what that looks like. Um, so over the last four years, we've um, uh, we've been running uh, a similar process each year, um, getting the teachers uh, getting teachers to uh, assess uh, what they think their students are capable of at the beginning and at the end of the year. And we've done that with two different groups. So we've done that <laughs> with students who've never done any sort of structured uh, skills development programme. And then we've done it with those that we've been working with, um, and we've been working with over a course of a year to see what the difference is. And actually it's been remarkably stable over four years, which is why um, we think it's really credible, is what we see is that where schools don't have that sort of programme in place, students on average are making uh, just under 0.8 steps of progress a year. Once they have a a structured programme, they're making between 1.15 and 1.2 steps. So basically, they're making 50% extra progress every year in terms of building those skills. Um, And what you can imagine is that that is transformational in terms of the trajectory then that those students are on because they're leaving, by the time they're leaving uh, primary school, students who've had a really structured programme are often outperforming year eight or year nine students who are in uh, secondary school. Um, And as I mentioned before, you know, we see that actually they continue to to cement those gains year on year. So um, yeah, all of our sort of impact work is is freely available on our website as well.
4: Let's go to Debbie first and then Emma, please. Um, I'm not sure whether this is a cheeky ask (laughs) or whether it's already on the list. Um, So the digital platform and skills builder, fabulous. When I talk to one of my CU schools about the digital platform and skills builder. They go, oh, we've got enough to do already. What I would love, please, is if you, or if there is a two hour pre-scripted training session that I can go into one of my schools and spend two hours with those schools and say, right, You're part of Children's University. The digital platform is a bit of work, but actually look at the benefits that this will bring into school. So you're the experts, you know your job inside out. I could fudge together something, as we all could, that looks like a formal training session, but it would be lovely as part of the partnership to have a two hour or a one hour, or as short as you can make it, to be really efficient. (laughs) Um, To be able to add value to those schools that we're already working with and really cement the digital platform in the schools as something that should be part of their whole culture, not something else that Debbie is asking us to do as part of Children's University. So is that on the list of things that might be possible?
2: Well, one of my questions is going to be around, you know, really practical ways that we could look to work together. And I'm sure there's there's something, I, I think, I think it's about for us. It's about trying to break it down mm. into really, really simplistic steps for everybody, and just that introduction to, to why we're doing it as Children's University. And and I, I was, I was going to ask you actually, obviously on the back of we've we've got a network of schools that we can help you support with the Skills Builder um, framework, but obviously, but as well, how we could use that impact evidence to take. You know, skills builder and embed that further in CU schools. But actually, you know, I'm up for very practical ways of of doing things and working together. If you are, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, that, that definitely feels like something we can support putting together.
3: No, I think it's very important to us to be able to sort of uh, empower those who are out um, using this approach and sharing the framework. It's probably more of a a bit of feedback just to say thank you,
6: really. Um, My name's Emma. I work for Kent Children's University, formerly part of Kent County Council um, within the Skills and Employability team then to Peter Cross to a separate company called the Education People. That's just to try and give it a bit of com- context. So during my time within Skills and Employability, I um, was always in every meeting very frustrated that it's Gatsby Benchmarks 14+. plus. <laughs> um, because as a former reception teacher, I always used to say to my children, how do you know you want to be a structural engineer unless you've played with Lego? They just used to look at me and think, what's she talking about? But um, the point for me is that this has really helped. So with... Kent supported employment um, and the Careers and Enterprise Company leads within Kent. We had written a primary school program for six weeks, which I'm delivering afternoon in, in a school for six afternoons a week, where it basically moves through, you know, what do you want? How do you you know how do you get there? And trying to start joining some of those dots for the children. And one of the gaps that we found when we were especially talking around skills auditing for children. It's really hard to put it in child-friendly terms without sounding quite sort of jargonistic. So this partnership, selfishly, for us and the work we're developing around careers, has been really useful because now we're working in key stage two classes with nine-year-olds who are now starting to see that skills are transferable. And also reminding, and I'm sorry for everyone who's heard me say this a million times. If you have an ambition to be a premiership footballer, I hear that all the time, the likelihood is you're not really going to play for England, but with those transferable skills, you can still have a career in football. It just means that you might be a groundsman. It might be, so sometimes for children it's about, and it links back to Jack's conversation about, um, no, it wasn't Jack's, around expectations set against aspiration. So this partnership, I'm really excited to see how we embed this further Within that programme, so I'd love the opportunity to talk to you, or possibly our CEC colleagues, to see if we can look at taking that further.
1: Yeah, of course, and and I think I like it anyway. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I I think that's one that's that's a really important point. Is that what we're really trying with this framework and and with the partnership is not to be precious about it, and the whole point is that we're not trying to to hold on to this framework, um, but actually that what's been really exciting for me personally over the last couple of years is seeing how people have taken it and have used it in ways that I hadn't even imagined uh, I would start seeing. And so if you think actually this, this is a tool which could be useful in other ways, then you, know, you absolutely have our blessing to do whatever is really useful with it. Um, and the other thing uh, I should share as well is that um, we also have something called Skills Builder Hub, um, which is a completely free online um, resource which contains everything that we have created to help bring the, the framework to life. So it includes sort of detailed handbooks of how you'd go about building step-by-step. Step. It's got um, some resources that can be used with young people directly and children directly. Um, yeah, it's got a, it's a whole treasure trove of different stuff. So again, if that's useful, then that's all completely freely available as well.
2: Oh,
5: I'm going I'm to take one last. One. Hello, I'm Laura from Nottingham Trent Children's University. I work within Nottingham Trent University and we target Children's University as a widening participation scheme. So we work with schools that we identify as having children from the polar quintiles that obviously we discussed earlier. We're very keen to make sure we are um, having an effect on social mobility and closing the gap. And I wondered how you are targeting the work that you're doing to make sure that within the funding that you are allocating, you're making sure that you're part of that agenda?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, uh, so the, the, the approach we take with the schools we work with is that we, um, we want this to be something that they see as relevant for all their uh, children and young people. Um, so within the schools, we encourage them to have a program that is, is completely inclusive of everybody. Um, and you know, as part of that, we also have a lot of um, resources and, and a, a further broken down version of the framework, for example, with, for students with uh, special or additional needs as well. So I think that's been the key point is that we want uh, schools to see this as relevant for everybody and to have really high expectations um, of what can be achieved. Um, in terms of uh, schools we target with funding, um, we're actually, uh, we're very much led by the schools. Um, so we sort of have a uh, philosophy that the schools uh, bearing in mind only only working with um, within the remit of them being state funded schools um, we think the schools are a good judge of whether this is a valuable programme for them and for their students Um, and ultimately we want it to be something every school forgets so we don't don't have any additional funding criteria on which schools we support do you want to add anything on that?
3: Uh, no, I think that that's the sort of the key thing, really, and we're in particular looking to make sure, you know, the whole point is that it's for everyone. And certainly, with our uh, sort of work with business employers, we do then also have uh, some of those employers who are working uh, specifically with certain schools and looking to really uh, break down that barrier of accessibility. So that's a, sort of an additional area within the fundraising where some will be targeting particular. Boroughs or schools who are whether that's a housing association, the residents who are in their areas, and so we're really looking to find as many sort of avenues as possible to mm. keep it open to everyone.
1: I think that's right. So, and one final point is that while we we're open to any school, that sort of gets in touch with us when we're doing sort of marketing activity, um, we do focus particularly on students, uh, so schools who are serving uh, children in the lowest uh, two quintiles of the IDACI. So, the majority of our schools are from those uh, those
2: thank you both very much for that thank you
1: you.
0: thanks for listening to the children's university live podcast the episode was recorded at the children's university conference that was held in Manchester at the federation with kind support from the co-op foundation and in partnership with luminate Further information about Children's University and the content featured in this episode can be found in the show notes. The soundtrack is Sleet and Snow by My First Tooth and is courtesy of Al Records. This podcast was produced and presented by me, Vic Elizabeth Turnbull, and is a Mike Media Production.